Hi, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm the host of the Sports Psychology Hour radio show here in Kansas City. I've been on the air for 32 years. The show airs every Sunday morning, Central Time, from 7 to 8 on Sports Radio 810 WHB. You can listen to it live on 810WHB.com. Over the past few years, in addition to our radio show, we've launched the Sports Psychology Hour as a podcast and now via live stream. And I've got close to 10 years of podcasts on my website, which is winnersunlimited.com. Click on the podcast tab and you can listen to episodes of the show. That's winnersunlimited.com. And we started a new series of conversations focusing on coaches and athletes at the youth level. And today we're, we're privileged to have Chris Savina with us. He's a hockey coach in Connecticut. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, certainly my pleasure. Uh, you know, greatly appreciate the honor to be on. You know, I, I've been a sports psychologist in my 42nd year, and throughout my career, I've, I've worked with athletes at all levels, youth sports all the way up to the professional Olympic level. I've, I've consulted over the years. We have a minor league hockey team here in Kansas City. I, I've worked with a number of players, and they're mostly goalies, actually, who come in and see me since it's sort of up in their head, right? Um, For sure. You know, you're in a sport that's right now the Stanley Cup's going on, the playoffs are going on with that. Obviously, there's a lot of heightened interest around the country in, in a lot of areas with hockey. But your, your work, you've won some championships, just recently won a championship this year. Correct. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I, I want to ask you about, as we start, coaching athletes today. You've been coaching, you said, 25 years, so quite a while. Correct. Um, do you think athletes today are different than they were when you started at the youth level? And, and tell us what ages you coach. So currently, I coach high school. Uh, but have grown up or have been coaching over the 25 years, youth from eight years old all the way up through high school. And to answer your question, absolutely. Uh, I think the athletes say are completely different. I think the youth today is completely different. I think society today is completely different. So youth and sports usually mirror what society is. And I think uh, it's certainly a lot different for sure. There's a lot more mental aspect to it. And, you know, being 54 years old and growing up in the, you know, 80s and early 90s, athletically, tough love is something that uh, isn't anything that you can really get away with anymore. Or I shouldn't say get away with. Is it overly effective, I think, is how I should put that. So, I yes, I think it's completely different. Yeah, I would say it's it's not just so it's not effective, but it's not accepted really that much anymore. Sure. Other than certain situations. I, so so let's get into that. Um what would you say is different about the mentality of young athletes today versus back then from their perspective, not just the parents and how they're treated by parents and coaches, but where they're coming from as athletes? I think athletes want to have a say a lot more. I think doing as told isn't as accepted unless it makes sense to the athlete. When I was growing up, you just did what you did. You never said anything to the coach. Your parents would never call the coach and you just did what you did or you didn't play. And now that's completely different. Now there's a lot more from a coaching standpoint, finesse in that you, you know, listen to, you have to listen to the athletes. You have to, if you don't, then I think you're doing one an injustice to the athlete, but two, you're not going to be overly successful because they want to be heard. And I think if you're open with them and honest with them and fair with them, I think that can work. Uh, I've been fortunate enough where for me, it has worked. But certainly takes a lot of going home, digesting. Let's not talk right now. Give me 
a day, give me an hour. I need to digest myself, collect my thoughts so I can handle the situation in a positive manner. And a lot of times emotionally or off the cuff, that can't happen. So that little time frame, I think, has helped me be able to have those conversations. But certainly them wanting to be heard, I think, is one of the biggest things that's that's a difference between now and before. And, and I think that's extremely helpful. <clears throat> Obviously, as a, as a psychologist, I'm going to say it's healthy. But I think as a sports psychologist, it's even more healthy because in the past, as you said, you did what you were told. And oftentimes, I, I just had to give you an example. I just had a, a new client in today. He's 14. Um, he's got some confidence issues. He plays soccer and basketball, but when he was in fourth grade, his, uh, baseball, baseball coach, uh, wouldn't let him play anywhere, but right field. And he wanted to play some other places. And the coach says, no, you're staying in a lot right field. That's you either play there. Or you don't play. And so now he has some confidence issues. Why, why can't I play somewhere else? Cause I don't want, <laughs> I think I, I, I have a saying, a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> but and I also think that good co- good coaches are good good communicators, but great coaches are good listeners. How would you respond to that? Well, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think you have to listen to what the athlete's looking for. You have to listen to what is going to motivate him or what his hot buttons, if you will, are, and then you have to massage that. Now, I don't think you have to blow smoke. I don't think you have to be false. I don't think you have to sugarcoat some things. If you're honest with the athlete, I find you get great results. I think they're just looking for the honesty. They're looking for the feedback. You know, on our team, we have mid-season reviews with every athlete. We have exit interviews when the season's over, and we have some candid conversations. Uh, here's what we think you're doing great. Here's how you thrive on our team and your role on our team. Here's where we think there could be room for some improvements. And we end each meeting by saying, how can we as coaches make your next season better? How can we make the last half of your senior year as good as we can for you as the senior? And it's very interesting and fascinating what comes out of their mouths you uncover some stuff that you didn't even think was there and why they may be acting a certain way. And it's when you let them talk and you listen to what they say, it's, it's really interesting and, and healthy. What comes out, I think. Give us some examples, if you don't mind, of, of some of the things that they have said to you, that's maybe blown you away or shocked you a little bit. So we had a player this year, one of our top guys, he ended up being second in our scoring and he was looking to reach a milestone on our team. Uh, an individual milestone, which is great, right? You have to have the individual effort to go along with the team effort. And we found in his mid-season review that he was getting a ton of pressure from home. So when we see him, we're just like, wow, this kid's all about himself. He's all about that mark. That's all he wants is that mark. And then when you talk to him, you find out that he really truly wants to win, even though he wants to get that mark. But that mark is being very much pressured from the home, the uncle. Uh, and we're like, wow, that's that's An interesting. Okay. Yeah, even it, it went as far as the uncle. And, you know, it's just good to know that, that the athlete sometimes at 17, 18 years old has other influences other than what you're presenting, of course. And things like that come out. Um, a lot of kids are real with where they sit in the lineup. They know who's the best players. They know where they sit. Sometimes the parents don't feel the same way, but a lot of times the kids do. 
So a lot of that comes out in these conversations, which we have found to be pretty uh, useful and helpful in our journey with my current five-year stint at the North Haven High School hockey coach. So along the lines of that with this young man, how'd you help him get through it? Because we'll, we'll get into the, the role parents play positively and negatively here in a few minutes, but how'd you help this young man through that? Um, you know, it's interesting because we had some ups and downs with him. Uh, he was always been very communicative with me. He's always been one who pushes my envelope every day. It makes me better because he makes me look at things a different way. And we've always had that relationship. And because we've had that relationship, you know, we just had a, a frank conversation and we mixed our lines up a little bit and he was a little frustrated with who he was playing with, but it was done for a purpose. And then we had a, a blow up in a game and, you know, he was doing something that we addressed and he's like, well, you know what, just bench me. Now he's a senior leader on our team and we did what he asked because now this is in front of the entire team and then after that situation we had a conversation him and I and we talked it out and he you know turned it around thrived in the environment got to the milestone he was looking for and actually was a very integral part of us winning not only our state championship but our conference championship for the third straight time so it was a good good positive outcome obviously they're not always like that but in this particular case it was so parents, let's let's delve into that aspect of things. Um, I know when I grew up and I graduated high school in 1972, so a long time ago, um, parents didn't come around and watch that often. You know, you high schools, like I played tennis, very few parents ever came out and watched. Now I work with all these young people and they've got not just their parents, their grandparents. For sure. A whole clan comes to watch them play. So the pressure's placed on a lot of these kids today is, is much greater than it used to be, I feel, in part because, you know, a lot of parents are hoping, well, my son or daughter can get a scholarship if they play really well and things like that. When actually there are more scholarships offered academically, there are athletically everywhere. Most people aren't aware of that. But where do you see the parents' role today in a positive light versus a negative light? What would, what would be your view on that? So I have a policy, which my AD doesn't necessarily like, is that I, in our preseason meetings, tell the parents, look, if you need to talk to me and you have questions, I would prefer to talk to your son. However, if you need to speak with me, I'm open. Maybe give me a 24-hour period before you ask, and then we'll meet face-to-face. And I have found that if you're honest and true with the parents and you meet with them and you feel confident that you know your players and know your structure, that it diminishes a lot of that yelling and screaming, if you will. Now, it doesn't ever ultimately go away and you're always questioned and you're always, you know, they're always questioning what you're doing and decisions that you're making, especially if it's a player who doesn't play. But I think just being open to have those conversations, I think diminishes that. And we have a preseason meeting and we're like, you know, what you say in the car on the ride home and what you say at the dinner table at home affects what we're doing. And you don't necessarily know what we do every single day in the conversations we have. So if you need to know that to better understand whatever's going on with your son, especially if your son's struggling, let's have that conversation. Hopefully we could solve that, at least get on the same page. You may not like it, but at least you may understand it or think it's fair. And then we kind of move on from that. Um, I think that helps being, again, you said communication in the beginning of this podcast. I couldn't, 
I, I believe that 100% that that's the most important part in any successful relationship is having that communication and those tough conversations. I'm a big proponent of the preseason meeting. I talk about it all the time on my radio show and on these podcasts and, and, and Facebook live shows, because I think as a coach, you have to set up at the beginning of the year, the guidelines and rules you're going to have about practice times and all those types of things, you know, game schedules and all that traveling schedules, whatever, but also about communication with parents. And I think what you said is, is really good. If you, you know, I want your son, this is the high school level of course, want your son to ask me first, but if that's not working, okay, then I'm, then I'm willing to talk with you. I think that, that that's, I, I like that approach because they're at the age in high school where they need to learn to take, take over, you know, some of the issues for themselves. But then again, sometimes some kids, you know, their confidence level isn't that high and they're scared to talk to you as a coach. Right. Sometimes they may need their parents to help them sometimes just to be there as a support system for them. And sometimes the parents need to be heard, right? They're not going to go away. The situation's not going to be solved or changed at all unless they have their say. So if you give them their say, one, you find that you don't talk to a lot, but two, you when the ones that you do talk to, you can resolve it, shake hands, walk out of the room, and at least it's amicable. And there's a, you know, there's a general sense that you're trying to do what's best for the individual in the scheme of doing what's best for the whole. You know, youth sports is in a crisis today in, in, in the sense of there's there's a real uh, lack of officials, referees, umpires. A lot of the, the people who have volunteered, especially high school kids, younger kids doing that for some extra money, they're not doing it because of the abuse that they get from parents in the stands. Right. You're, of course, at the, at the high school level. But uh, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you hear a lot of that going on in these games and I'm going to tell you my philosophy I have for youth sports. It doesn't necessarily apply to high school, but I'd like to get your approach on that. What's your, what's your thought about parental behavior at games? And I know at hockey games, it can get pretty loud. For sure. I, I think it's more sometimes, you know, quite honestly, the kid finds it embarrassing. He may never say that. He may never express that. But you can tell by his body language or his expressions on his face that a lot of times a, a parent overreacting or going above what is the norm, if you will, if there really is such a thing that it's embarrassing for them and it hurts them. Uh, I have come 360 on officials. When I started, I was fiery. I was emotional. And, you know, I really felt that there was times that maybe the official was trying to take the game away from my kids that work so hard. And I, over the years have developed a completely different approach to that. And you know what? They're, without them, one, we can't play for starters. And to most of the guys, if you just talk to them, they're good guys. And sometimes they don't see a play like you see it. And, you know, if they come over and explain it, then you accept it and you move on. And I had a really good manager when I was in the mortgage business a few years back that really pounded into me, control what you control, put your energies where you can control them. That's can one of my, excuse me, that's one of my favorite sayings, control, control the controllables. Yeah. And it helps you, right? Why are you putting your energy somewhere where it's like a referee has never changed his call. All he has done is getting more angry at you and they're human beings. So the next penalty is going to be against you because you're acting like a jackass, but you're not, you're not acting appropriately. And if you just say, okay, well, we got to kill the penalty now. And, Let's control that. Let's control how we how we do that. Let's control they missed a goal. Okay, well, we can't bring it back. How do we move forward? What can we control the situation to make it better in our favor? 
And it's taken me, I have to be honest, it's taken me a long time to get into that mind frame, but I've been much more successful since I've had that mind frame, to be quite honest. Yeah, I think that that kudos to you for changing, because I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a crisis in, in some sports where there aren't enough umpires, referees, officials to, for the games to be played. So right. let me ask this question about parental behavior. Granted, you're at the high school level, but I know you're around junior hockey as well, I'm sure. Right. So I, so I have a, a little uh, program I put together about parental behavior at games. I want to see what your thoughts are on this. And that's that there's you at youth sports, you have the, the preseason meeting where the coach goes through everything, you know, schedules and uniforms and traveling and whatever, but also about sportsmanship. And I've come up with this idea that because of the, the, the verbal abuse that's going on, we're, we're seeing stories every week in it now. I mean, right. weekly, there's something else going on. That, that what I've suggested is that the every game, there's a different parent who sort of supervises the other parents. In other words, there's, there's a sportsmanship guideline for behavior. And each week it's a different parent. But if there's a parent who's abusing that, that supervisory parent will go to the coach. The coach is going to call timeout, come over and confront the parent who's, who's getting out of control you know, in, a, in a disciplined way. Right. Say, look, you, you keep it up. You're going to have to leave. And and the debate is whether their child goes with them or not. But I, I think they, they have to take their child with them because I think that'll hit them. And then if they do get kicked out, the only way they come back is they have to take an officiating referee umpiring class to see what it's like to actually be in that situation. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's a great idea. I think just stopping the game and really everyone at the event or contest is now drawn to that person, you know, that talk about consequences for your actions, right? That's as much consequence as you're going to get in that situation. And then quite frankly, one of the reasons why a lot of the parents act the way they do is because there is no consequence. And I think that's a very intelligent way of doing that. Now, I think there's some other things like the coach will have to get trained on how to handle that situation. If the coach is, you know, an emotional younger coach himself or herself could be a little challenging, but I really like the concept. I think that's a great concept. Maybe each organization has to have a trained person or personnel at the contest that you call a timeout, you stop the game and they address it might be because, because I'm not sure the coach's level of knowledge right. or experience. The problem with that is then if you've got 10 baseball games going on at a complex at the same time. Oh, right. It's hard to have 10 people. Sure. That, sure. That, yeah. Yeah. But there's gotta be, I think where I I'm like going it. with that is then, then the parents all hold each other accountable is what it comes down to. And I like that. And I think stopping the game and drawing attention to that, I think you probably will cut a good percentage of that out just from having that happen. Yeah. Because almost, I mean, Chris, almost weekly now, there's another story that, that, I hear about, of course, what I do, I, I get all this information. Right. Whether a game was called, there was a fight, a parent confronts a coach, there's all this crazy stuff that goes on. And I think we've gotten to the point now, you know, you mentioned earlier, just the world as it is right now, how everything's changing and all the anger out there. I think that a lot of, a lot of people express that in these games, in these sports games. For sure. Right? It's a way to get it out freely, right? I mean, because like we said, there's no repercussion, really. So that's a way so, to get your anger out without having a repercussion per se. What, what do you, uh, get, let me get your opinion on, and of course we're on social media. I talk about this every week. 
Right. We're on social media right now, but, but where do, where are you at with social media and the, and the pros and cons it has with kids today? Well, from a communicative standpoint and getting information out, I think it's excellent. Uh, from celebrating some successes, I think it's excellent. But for glorifying some behaviors, I don't think it's so good. And I think I was just going to mention, I think sometimes, you know, if a parent's having an outrage and it's someone's videotaping it and it goes on, there's some people that thrive on that. Uh, there's some people that want to see themselves in that situation. So I think it glorifies some behavior that we probably don't want to have glorified. Um, I'm not, don't know how to solve that. Uh, but I think like most people, I'm sure there's pros and cons. Like, you know, to be, I was just able to check our, our softball team at North Haven High School is undefeated this year. So they were just in a conference tournament and I was able to check the score really quick just to see where they were. For that, it's really cool. Uh, stuff like this, I think is very cool. I enjoy doing this, as, you know, doing this kind of stuff. But again, then again, the glorification of some behaviors and some of the stuff that gets posted, that's, I'm going to call it idiotic. Again, I'm 54, so I'm, I'm, I, I didn't grow up in the, in the tele age, is you know, glorifying some stupid behaviors that people post and stuff. I'm not sure is overly good for society, but at the same token, something we have to deal with because it's here. That's why I, all the professional athletes I work with, one of the first things we talk about is I encourage them to get off social media during the, during their season. A lot of bravery in social media, right? You can be very brave in social media when you probably would not be brave in any other form of communication. One of the athletes I've worked with who's very, very, very prominent, successful, has told me that uh, we worked together for three years. He says that's one of the best things I ever told him. He said, because you know, if I if I screw up, everybody tells me how awful I am. And if I do well, everybody tells how great I am. And I said, yeah, but those people don't know you. Right. They don't know you who you are as a person. They just see your performance. And they live vicariously through you. And that's why I think, especially at the high school level, it's, it, it just gets so hostile and bitter for a lot of these kids. You know, they'll get stuff from the other school or even, even from parents or teachers. I mean, I've heard all these times, I think. So that's why, I, there. you know, there's a lot of talk today. In fact, yesterday, the Sur Surgeon General Vivek Murphy talked about mental health and kids and social media, thinking that, you know, kids under 14 shouldn't even be on social media. I'm not okay. sure. You know, I, I think there's areas that are good and areas that are bad about that. We just, you know, we're, we're obviously entering a new phase where you and I didn't deal with. I'm 14 years older than you. So, okay. yeah, I mean, when I when I grew up playing sports, we had AM, FM radio. And here in Kansas City, we had three TV stations. And we didn't, right. didn't have color TV until I was in <laughs> fifth grade. So, yeah, things have changed quite a bit. So let me ask you, before we wrap things up today, I want to ask you three definitions to get your opinion on that. Sure. First, what's your definition of winning? I think winning is in the eye of the beholder. I think at the high school level, which I'm currently uh, have the most current experience in, if a kid, when his career is over, enjoyed himself, it made his high school life better. It gave him something to some structure to his day and he hugs you when it's over. I think that essentially is winning. You know, winning on, you know, the, the wins and losses on the scoreboard are transparent. Everyone sees them. I am competitive. I do like to end up on top, but ultimately the journey of the high school athlete, if it's a successful one and they can hug you when it's over and 10 years down the road, they see you and they hug you. I think that would be a definition for me of being successful. I think that's a great definition. Tell me your, what you're feeling about uh, losing is. 
So losing, again, is something that I have changed over the course of my career. Uh, we actually have had two really good seasons. We were 23 and three last year. We were 24 and two this year. That's pretty but, good. Right. And I, it, a lot of it had to be talent, right, coach? I mean, you're only as good as the talent level. We had a great senior class, but we had two losses this year. And we talked about those two losses. They came consecutively. Uh, one was to a rival team that was not as good as we were. And one was a blowout. And we're like, listen, if we don't learn from these, then they're truly losses. If we learn from these experiences, then they're more lessons than losses. So I think, again, this has taken me a number of years to develop this mindset, listening to people like yourself. I listen to Gina Oriema at UConn. I listen to Carol Lawson at Duke. I listen to Coach Krzyzewski. Those are the three I listen to the most. And I've learned this through listening to people like that and been open to change my definition. So my definition of losses is it's only really a loss if there's no lessons there. And if you treat it such, if you're learning lessons, then there really truly is no losses. I think that's, that's a great way of analyzing that and describing that. And the last one is self-confidence. Well, how would you describe that? Um, I think that's everything. Uh, being self-confident, giving a kid who may not have that confidence, confidence, and, you know, just constantly pointing out what they're doing really well and that you have confidence in them. And I think that statement alone and having these meetings throughout the season and sharing all the positives that we see that these kids have, whether they're the kid who doesn't dress for games or the kid who's a star player, builds their confidence. And with confidence, you truly can do everything. Right. We live in America, the land of opportunity. But if you don't have confidence in yourself to do anything, then that opportunity is not really there. And I think confidence is probably the most important thing you as a person can have. And if we help any high school athlete along the way that comes to our program, have that confidence when they graduate. And it's been a good experience. So essentially they've won. Then we've really done our job. And hopefully those kids can take those lessons and be successful in their life. Listen, Chris, I really enjoyed talking to you. You, you get it. You obviously, I appreciate that. well, I, I mean that you obviously you've won some state titles, but that's not why I, I'm saying you get it. You get it because I think you under, you have an understanding of the, the kids and the people that you work with, because it's not about the results. It's about the effort. That's one of the, the things I have in my office, uh, one of the chief Super Bowl jerseys. And on that jersey, he has the initials FOE, stands for focus on effort. Right. And that's, that's what I think you do a great job of. So thank you so much for joining. If people would like to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Um, so I can be reached uh, at CJA2112 at Comcast.net. Or, um, yeah, so that would be my email address would be CJA at Comcast.net. I'm not huge on Twitter or any other form of social media. I do have a hockey skills and concepts page on Facebook. Uh, and Chris Avina is also on Facebook as well. I live in, um, you know, in, in, in the North Haven area as well. So, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I wanted to bring out my book, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. My favorite chapter in here is Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And uh, co-wrote this book with Jeff Montgomery, Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame pitcher, and Pete Malone, a USA Swimming Hall of Fame coach. And, uh, Ben Sherwood of Mojo Sports says it's the Bible of youth sports. We've got this book out there. People can get it on my website or on Amazon. And the whole thing here is encouraging kids to play, have fun, learn, and grow. And uh, it sounds like the hockey players you, you coach 
have accomplished those things. So thank you so much for joining us. And I appreciate it. And the first thing I do after we get off this call is get that book. <laughs> you know, if, if you enjoyed our conversation, visit my website, winnersunlimited.com. Just click on the podcast tab. You can hear close to 10 years of podcasts. We've got all kinds of information on there. Check out my website and connect with me. Give me a call at my office, 816-561-5556 or send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. And Chris, thanks again for being with us tonight. Great interview. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was a, a sure pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're clear. All right. That was great, Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I love talking about this stuff. It's such a passion of mine. It's, you know, I push everything aside in life, even what makes, you know, pays my bills to, uh, to talk about stuff like this, because I just love it. And I try and grow all the time and to get better. And I think what people fail to realize that if you do the things that we talk about, the winning comes, the actual wins winning, on the winning and losing comes. our results, winning and losing our results. Right. It's the effort that goes into it. And that's, yep. that's the whole thing. And that's what I, I've talked about forever. And, um, you know, the whole importance of mental health and athletes and everything's been poo pooed for years. And now in the last since kept basically since Kevin Love came out and had the anxiety attack when he played for the Cavaliers and right. Michael Phelps has come out and Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles. Now it's like, Oh wow. Athletes are people. I mean, I was one of the very first sports psychologists in baseball in 1990 with the Kansas City Royals. I mean, I got to know Bo Jackson really well, who's probably the greatest athlete of modern times, in my opinion. And Bo was as much human as me, even though, even though his, he was a heck of a lot better better shape than I was. <laughs> For, probably still so he, would, he, but, but he and I had a lot of great talks together, and he's, he's, he's just a person like everybody else. So I'm talking about a guy who – he had a lisp, right? So talk about a kid who probably didn't have confidence. Right. Didn't uh, didn't have confidence as a kid and what he overcame to be who he is and what he is is pretty miraculous and you know big kudos to him. Yeah. Listen, if I can if I can ever get if you uh, never want to get a hold of me, feel free to reach me. Excellent. Uh, just my website or or give me a call on my uh, my number. Awesome. I really appreciate that offer. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good night. Thank you, Chris, very much. Appreciate yeah. it. Oh, my pleasure. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Okay, Billy. Talk and to you. Thanks. Yes, Bye-bye.